You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Scientists are trying to learn more about the star-nosed mole to figure out how it does all the amazing things it does. What can they teach us? So what MIT has found, because they develop materials, so this is a, a material or mechanical engineer. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, we're doing an alien today. This is an alien. Specifically, I, the Predator alien. The Predator movies. I was going to say, I feel like there's a movie from my childhood that I was always super scared of. And that, yes, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, my my uh, late father was a big fan of all those kinds of movies. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, my siblings loved the movies, but I was not a fan. <laughs> this thing, the star-nosed ball, is one of the most obscure-looking mammals on Earth. Has to be. It has to be, and it does. When you, at first glance, it's a little uneasy on the eyes. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yes. However, after hours of research and several YouTube videos, and even zooming in on its facial structures. Mm-hmm. Uh, with an electron microscope and some of the some of the data that I was looking at, I fell in love with the physiology. They are insane. These yeah. have some of the most crazy physiology of any species we've covered. Well, I think insane. you're not too far off to say alien yeah. from that. And yeah. uh, because of it, scientists are trying to learn more about the star-nosed mole to figure out how it does all the amazing things it does, not only with its star nose, which, of mm-hmm. course, we're going to cover in a lot of detail here shortly, but just with other physiological adaptations and things that it does. So, yeah, it was a real fun week. Uh, we have to give Mallory a huge shout-out um, mm-hmm. for her interview coming up that Chris did recently. Uh, she is the one that suggested this, and I am super pleased. I, <laughs> I learned so <laughs> much. And I think the cool thing about doing a mole, this is our first mole that we've done. Now, mm-hmm. we've done the mm-hmm. naked mole rat. Right. But... Mole rats are in a totally different family than moles. Absolutely. So this is our first mole. For all of our international listeners out there, although we're going to be focusing on the star-nosed mole that's from North America, moles are found on every continent except Antarctica and South America. So sorry to our South American friends. I don't think we have any listeners in Antarctica. No, I don't know. I always think somebody might download the podcast and fly down there at the research station, but I don't right. know. <laughs> always, so, but, but yeah, yeah, so everybody can relate. I feel, or a lot, of, most most of our listeners uh, have a mole. Whether you're in the UK mm-hmm. or China, you have moles in your area, and we'll, we'll touch on several of the species of moles. But today, we get to highlight the star-nosed mole, and it's going to be a good pod. It will. Oh. We'll come away from this. With, with some fancy factoids for your next cocktail party, for sure. And if you don't they, do cocktail parties, for trivia, bar trivia, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're insane. Their physiology is nuts. It's nuts. It was a lot of fun. And like Angie said, we have a, a great interview. Again, this is just a fun week. It's just, you know, you do these obscure animals. You learn so much about them. 
which we're going to share with our listeners today. And we, this was literally, it was such a fun interview with Mallory Lindsay. She's also known as Ms. Mallory, or she does Ms. Mallory's Adventures. She, it was, you know, she loves the creepy crawlies, like the, the things that you're just like gross. I'm not going to touch. She adores and loves and educates about. Speaking of one of the things we talk about is the Amazonian giant leech, which is nuts. This thing gets 17 inches long or 45 centimeters. Wow. <laughs> Holy macaroni. Have you, have you ever had a leech on you? No, but that's what we talk about. We talk okay. about this. Yeah, yeah, I have when I was a kid. We used to swim in the rivers and, mm-hmm. uh, but I would be little. So once again, my dad, he was an adventurer. Uh, he, would like hold on to us. And so when you, when, if you're standing still in a river, uh, in, in Michigan, that might happen to you. And so, but they were not, what'd you say? 17 inches? Is that what 17 you inches? Ah, no, it's, that's, they were huge. not that big. No, they were, they're they were huge. maybe one or two little guys. Uh, wow. Yeah. But yeah. No, she and loves, that, and that's leeches. why it's, yeah. I love the fact that Mallory, she kind of sticks up for the, the ones that probably not a lot that's, of people see. Yeah, yeah the people charismatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> that people aren't as uh, you know, potentially excited about. But when you have people like Mallory, or hopefully like mm-hmm. us today with the star nose mole, hopefully we can take some of these maybe not as uh, iconic or classic or beautiful in the mm-hmm. in the in the normal sense animals and make you fall in love with them and or at least appreciate them, appreciate them in your backyards. And, and then, and luckily the star nose mole is actually least concerned according to IUCN, but there's several mole species that are either endangered or critically endangered or even vulnerable. And we'll talk about that uh, later on in the pod. Right, right. They're just, they're, they're amazing creatures and their history is interesting and the physiology, like I said, is great. And, you know, just a, a shout out really quick to Murray State and the Prevet Club. We got a beautiful email from Kristen. You know, Angie said, what, it, it brought tears to your eyes a little bit. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, I had a little bit of that tingling itch in the back of my throat and a little bit of a water filling my eyes as I was reading that email. And, of course, the first thing I did was I, I forwarded it to John so he could read it. And I was like, see, we're doing good things here. Yes. We're uh, it was it was lovely. And it was it's what I it always, always appreciate in the beginning of the week when I'm starting to do my research for the next species, because it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely the juice that keeps me going. That's for sure. Yeah. Those emails are great. So please keep them coming. And, you know, just thank you to Thaddeus from the United Kingdom and Joanna from Australia for supporting us this week on Patreon. They joined us a cup of coffee a month. You support us in conservation. We just gave back to Australia so thank you for the support there. And Angie, you have some shout outs on iTunes. Oh, yes. And of course, once again, if you can't give to Patreon, you can always either subscribe, rate, and review us. And we got two awesome reviews on Apple iTunes, one from Biggie Smalls and another one from On the Daunt. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Kind words once again. And I love Biggie Smalls said, uh, they wish they could give us more than five stars. So, oh, thank you. Since I'm a numbers person, that made me really happy. I was like, oh, that's yeah. like more than more than a hundred percent. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> that's not thank really you. possible. But <laughs> so, thank you, and that's uh, and that's really helpful too. Once again, to uh, yeah. to help us get more exposure and to basically bring this awesome free material to more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Angie, we've got some crazy physiology, you know, going on, like. You know, how do these things breathe underground? We're going to talk about them swimming. You were sending me papers. I was sending you papers. Just yes. crazy stuff. Yeah, Chris. I'm not sure if you read that one I sent you just a few hours ago, but this is awesome. Uh, what do moles, ringtail lemurs, and hyenas, one of your favorites, have in common? So moles, ringtail lemurs, and All I hyenas. can think of with the lemurs is that stink fight. I remember that. And then hyenas kind of smell. Maybe they all smell bad. I don't know. It has, <laughs> we'll see. Nope. Uh, I'll tell you you're wrong because it's kind of funny okay. in a while. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, uh, no, it, ha- well, it has to do with their reproduction. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. Green tail lemurs and hyenas. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Well, before we get into describing these things, because we've got, we're going to dork out so much on their physiology, just really quickly where they're found. These are mainly North, these are found in North America, mainly Canada and some parts of the Northeast U.S. And really kind of a variety of habitats, but they really like it with, with wet or moist soil. So like bogs, marshes, those kind of areas. Yeah, Chris, that's, they stand out for se- several reasons in the mole family. Uh, but right away, that's one of the first things is most moles like just normal dirt. But mm-hmm. the star-nosed mole, they, like, they're almost, like, semi-aquatic. Like, they like right. really wet, uh, wet dirt, and they will even sometimes, some of their burrows will open into a stream. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. They, it just, it's so fun. And, you know, so last week we talked about Canada and the moose episode, so I'm not going to highlight the environment, what's going on there. If you hadn't, if you didn't catch it, go listen to moose. Amazing. Amazing species. That was fun. Yeah. I, 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 it's like, who could talk about moose for an hour and a half? Angie. Angie can. <laughs> it was actually longer. I had to edit it down. I was going to say, I'm sure you made some uh, healthy edits on it. Yeah, yeah, it was great. But, oh, Angie, how do we describe these things? Where do we begin? Well, Where I mean, do we begin? it's no, so they're a mole. And, and I'm sure most people are familiar with what a mole look like as far that it's uh, four, this one's four inches in length, about the same size as a hamster or a small rat. It's brown and it has water repellent uh, fur because it does mm-hmm. sometimes, like I said, go into the water or it will uh, dig its burrows near water so it can access it. But its name is all in, right? The star-nosed mole. Right. And so what makes this critter so unique in the animal kingdom, but even in the mole family, is that its nose is this hairless, so pink, if you will, ringed tissue that makes a unique star of 22 fleshy tentacles. I know. I know. It's crazy. So once again, if you saw a predator, you can kind of visualize this. <laughs> Looking at it right near my screen. I have, the, I have the predator on my screen with a picture of this mole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is exactly yeah and the star is really cool it's like bilateral and has symmetry and so there's like 11 appendages per side and some are longer and some are shorter and it just has a crazy snout it has one of it probably has the hands down the most unique nose oh by far in the animal kingdom i mean you think a trunk's unique this is by far by far and these these they're sunburst shaped and they're flexible. So obviously they move mm-hmm. and they're really important to uh, the mole's physiology. And we'll, we'll dive into that here right away. But on first glance, and obviously please go to our show no- notes or Google it, uh, Google images or something. Uh, you will, you might be taken back a little bit. Uh, it's just different looking and very, but once again, after uh, after video after video, I man, I really fell in love. And I, I know its nose is unique, but I love uniqueness. So it is, it is, it is crazy. And we're going to jump into what it does right away. But you know, just a couple other things about moles that I found different. Angie are these huge, huge hands, mm-hmm. these forelimbs with these mm-hmm. claws. Mm-hmm. Because you think of rodents, you know, little, you know. Yeah, five my, my rats have cute but, little feet. Yeah. The cutest little feet. These things are huge. They're yeah, like the big mole, not, digger the claws. Mole is, yeah, they would hurt you. Right. <laughs> no joke. No joke. And, you know, and then they've got these little tiny eyes that, that we'll talk about that really, they don't really use them. You know, it's this star nose thing. So just a... It's a beautiful, it is a beautiful animal. I mean, it is. It, except that picture that I have with the predator. That's not beautiful. It's a thing made of nightmares. Oh, but the nose, Ange, we got to dork out the nose first. I think we have to talk about it up front. I think we just have to before we jump into anything else. I think so as well. It's, it's pretty much, once again, the most unique nose in the animal kingdom. And 
when you think of nose, the first thing you think of is sense of smell. Mm-hmm. And we've covered several animals on the podcast who have a much greater sense of smell. They have more smell or olfactory receptor nerves mm-hmm. uh, than us humans do. Mm-hmm. So obviously any, any of the wolves we've covered and several other species. Horse, horses smell way better than humans do. And bears. I mean that Remember both- bears? Yeah. Remember we talked about bears. That surprised you that they, they can smell better than a bloodhound. Yeah, like they put their tip, their nose up to the... Yeah. 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 So that's what you think of when you think of a nose. Now, I want you to just forget everything I said about a nose. (laughs) Because that has the star, the shit, the nose of the star nose moles has nothing to do with smelling. No. (laughs) No, it's all touch. It's a touch. Mm -hmm. It's, it is, so... So these 22 tentacles have a total of 100,000 nerve endings. Okay. A finger, a single human fingertip has 17,000 nerve endings. This thing has 100,000. So it is used primarily for touch, right? Oh, that's, yeah, it's a mechanoreceptor to to Mm -hmm. give it a classical name. It's the sense that it focuses on. Uh, is touch. And so what helps you with touch are your mechanoreceptors. They're nerves in your skin that pick up on sensations. And there's different types of sensations, as I'm sure you're all aware. There is like a light touch. There is pressure. There's itch. Oh, that's one of the worst ones, right? When you just can't get mm-hmm. that itch. Uh, there's vibrations. And uh, so the Stardust Mole has all these different kinds of mechanoreceptors in each tentacle, but that's just saying it. That's that's a real generic term. Mm-hmm. What they actually have on each tentacle, and so in each tentacle or appendage, they have these units that are called imers organs, mm-hmm. and they're called organs because. An organ, more or less, the reason an organ is called an organ is because it has different types of cells or tissues that act together for one common cause. Mm -hmm. So I know that's kind of dorky, but that's why you, the heart is made up of several different types of tissues to pump blood through your body. And so that's why it's considered an organ, just like all the other main organs in your body. Well, researchers have coined this Imer's organ as an organ on the tentacles. But check this out. There's like thousands of organs per tentacle. In total, the 22 tentacles have 25,000 domed Elmer's organs, which are these sensory units, these bundles Mm -hmm. of basically epithelial cells and nerves. Okay, so like Chris, like your fingertip, but like each one of those is a fingertip, if you will, more or less. Each one of those little imers organs. And so the sensitivity is just nuts. And now we, once again, we have, we have the same receptors for vibration and pain, of course, and uh, light touch and then deep pressure. And they all have different names. There's the Meisner corpuscle. That's going to be for light touch. There's the um, Pacinian corpuscle that's for vibration, and we're going to talk about vibrations here with the star nose mole coming up. There is the Rufian corpuscle that's more for stretch, and and then there's the Merkel receptor or cell, uh, and that's kind of more for deep pressure and things like that. And uh, and then there's also nociceptors, which are pain receptors as well, which of course we have those in our fingertips, so it makes sense mm-hmm. that they would have all of those and all. And each bundle, each little Imer's organ has all of those. And then there's thousands of these bundles per tentacle to make it be a very, 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 very sensitive structure. And although it's coming from its nose, it's not known for being able to smell things. It's it's for this sense of touch. Angie, I mean, this thing's crazy you're talking about it and i'm listening to you and i'm like yeah it 
I mean, they use it so fast. Like it can, it can talk, you know, you can talk about touch. It can touch as many as 12 objects per second. Like they use this because their eyes are essentially useless for touch. But then you also, you know, they do, they can smell. I mean, of course. Yeah. They have an yeah. olfactory nasal passage and they have olfactory receptors. They can definitely smell. Uh, but they probably smell in a traditional way that you and I do where the, the tentacles itself are acting Don't more yeah. as a sense of touch to help it, to mm-hmm. help it navigate its life and where and move where it needs to move, but, and also to find right. food. Well, and then they, you know, they, they say at the center of this organ is a thing called a touch phobia, which because their eyes are, are they don't use their eyes, especially under underground while they dig, this is their eyes. Sure. And it, their nervous system, what I read, the, the scientists, it's organized in such a way, like similar to our, our eyes and how they're connected to our brain. This nose is connected to their brain in a very similar fashion. Yes. So it is their eyes, which is, they see with this nose. It's yes. nuts. It's in, it's, I mean, it's crazy. And that's where, uh, researchers have kind of extrapolated that maybe they're, they're almost able to like feel, but like see in 3D, or maybe that's how it's trans, uh, how it's, um, transmitting to their brain. And mm-hmm. they do all this really, amazing neurobiological mapping that is mm-hmm. even a little bit above, <laughs> above what I, uh, what I could even think to begin to understand, but yes, that it's similar in concept to us with our eyes and all the information that we gather with our eyes, they are gathering the similar information instead of through, you know, we do it, we do it with our photoreceptors, right? Mm-hmm. Our eye receptors, mm-hmm. they are doing it with their touch receptors. Yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts. And it, it's, you know, one of the reasons going into why care, the number one researcher in the star nose mole, I think, and everything I've read is, is Dr. Ken Catania from Vanderbilt University. Mm-hmm. Like everything I'm reading on the neurological su- stuff is coming from his lab at Vanderbilt. And I mean, to quote him, he said, it's a, it is a true neurological wonder that has taught us a lot about how the brain processes sensory information. So, like you said, they're mapping their brain and comparing it with the human brain. And, again, we're learning things, you know, through their neurological connections, their neurons, how they carry this information. And talking about, you know, real here on neurons, so these touch receptors, just so you know how fast this this stuff goes, I I, I had to look up the speed of neurons because I'm like, I I know it's lightning fast. I think it's like 1,000. I have 268 miles per hour. So I yeah. put it miles per hour or 432 kilometers per hour. So it's, it's going fast. fast. I mean, well, think about it. You touch a hot stove and think how quickly you pull yeah. off your finger, pull your finger up off of it. Yeah. Yeah. So they're processing info so fast through that nose. It, it, it it's a, it's a wonder of nature. It, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And like you said, like what these brilliant researchers can learn, not only, of course, about the star nose mole and how they're able to do this physiological miracle or feat or uh, however you want to look at it, but also too, how that relates to us humans. And you think about humans that have either lost their sight. For instance, if you think about humans that have either lost their sight, or uh, have had other sensory deprivation type issues of what they can learn and potentially how they could help humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, they're just, they're amazing. And that So that's what makes them super unique. And we still have a lot of physiology to go. Like, I, you know, it's, moles are so cool. Yeah. And to kind of just talk about their ecological niche, I mean, they're, moles are really important. And the one thing that the star nose mole does is in these wetlands is not only do they, are they preyed upon by certain carnivores, but they, they consume quite a bit of, you know, subterranean invertebrates and aquatic invertebrates. They, as they burrow, it aerates the soil for plants that are, you know, it's important. Like they have an important ecological role to the ecosystem they inhabit. 
So we need to love our moles, and we definitely need to love this this star-nosed <laughs> predator-looking oh. mole. And the star-nosed mole is found in Canada and eastern North America. But once again, moles are found, other species of moles are found almost everywhere else on Earth. And so they've been here for a long time, which Chris will talk about that in evolution. And then they have these ecological niches that are really, really important. If that doesn't, if you don't, if you're, if you're not on board with them being cute or at least having one of the most purposeful, fancy, functioning noses <laughs> in the animal kingdom. Yes. From a human perspective, we like we said, we are uh, bi- biologists and researchers are just fascinated. In fact, in fact, I know we cover a lot of cool creatures on this podcast that have really gnarly physiological adaptations. But I feel like the star-nosed mole, I was actually in other scientific journals besides animal physiology mm-hmm. uh, because of this crazy sensory appendage. I was in the Journal of Electrochemical Society. <laughs> I was <laughs> That's got to be. Yeah. Can you was, imagine that meeting? Can you imagine sitting in that meeting? Oh, my God. I read part of the article, so I, it's I was, like I was there. I'm presenting no, really my good. research today. Uh, a lot of it was way above my head, but this had to be really exciting for them. Yes, <laughs> like the, yeah, yeah. And so, but and then I was in another. Um, I don't know if it was like a, a, a applied neurobiology, but mm-hmm. all the applications. And so they talk about because it's such this tactile, mechano sensing organ. Uh, possibly how to replicate some of these pathways for for neural prosthetics. So when people mm-hmm. lose an appendage and things like that. Other researchers are really into studying the star-nosed mole because it can detect seismic waves mm. and potentially predict, predict earthquakes way easier than some wow. of the equipment that they have. And so mm-hmm. remember we talked about some of those mechanoreceptors that can mm-hmm. sense vibration. Well, yeah, you and I can feel... A vibration at what? Like if I, you're from California, like what tremors do you feel? Like, oh, I've been through a few. I mean, we're on, like definitely it depends how close you are, but like a four. Yeah, or a 2.0, I really don't feel, but a 4.0 or greater, yeah, you feel it. Right, and so think about these star-nosed moles that have like a way more sensitive sense mm-hmm. of vibration, able to pick up pick up on subtleties that obviously we can't because we don't have enough vibration mechanoreceptors in our body. And so it's a really unique model and way to try to, you know, either understand more about how they're doing this, but also uh, trying to figure out how to basically make equipment like the star-nosed mole for mm-hmm. s- seismic detection. Okay. Oh, and then, once again, going back to the Electrochemical Society of 2019 journal that I was in. <laughs> I'm going to that scientific meeting next these year. These guys, there's a couple papers. This is like super hot topic right now on PubMed. But they oh, yeah. are studying the star-nosed mole for insight and understanding on how the star-nosed mole can smell underwater. Mm-hmm. And we talked about a little bit how they... They're not, I don't know if semi-aquatic is the right term for them, but compared to other moles, they have been known to swim a little more frequently than other moles. And they'll always, they often will dig their burrows by these uh, wetlands. And so they have this crazy physiological adaptation to be able to smell underwater. Now, we've talked about animals that can smell underwater, like the great white shark. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a fish. Fish are in water. This, this is different. Yeah. This is totally different the way the star-nosed mole smells in water. So, yeah. So the way it works, from what I understood, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So Dr. Catania, uh, I hope I'm saying his name right, is they push out these air bubbles mm-hmm. into, into things, and then they inhale it to, to get the odor. So they make air bubbles. And it's so rapid, mm-hmm. and and so then they smell that air bubble that catches any aroma, so they know where their food is. These aquatic invertebrates that they eat, right? Exactly. So they make air. It's crazy. It's they make crazy. little bubbles in the water. Those bubbles yeah. travel out and pick up odor molecules, for lack of better mm-hmm. terms, in the water in the bubble, 
and then they breathe through their nose because they have a nose like me and you. They have, they have olfactory receptors, and they're able to basically pick up on chemo detection or uh, olfactory receptors of like, oh, well, that's where the worm is, or oh, that's where the shrimp is, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, crazy, right? Oh, well, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's where these researchers from the Electrochemical Society are like, that's not crazy. <laughs> That's genius. <laughs> so what what they're studying them for is they basically want to develop an underwater electronic nose that's inspired by the star nose moles underwater sniffing. Yeah. And amazing. they've done this by basically they use a motor that pushes and pulls on a syringe and does all these things. And so they're working on it. But oh. that I mean, see, this is why I could argue argue is not the right word, but why I could preach, I don't know if preach is the right word, but why I just want to beg people that we need to make sure and con- conserve all Serve creatures, these animals. great and small, yeah. pretty and ugly, because, yep. you know, that's the thing is, this star-nosed mole is like a superhero. It has some crazy superpowers that us humans can barely comprehend because, well, we don't have them, right? right. And Right. There's, they have so much to teach us and it just, it's just been such an exciting week learning about these guys that no offense. When I first looked at him, I was like, how does Mallory <laughs> like this creature? <laughs> she, she likes hagfish too. And I'm like, uh, we'll do this one. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, that's we'll why it's like, hagfish. thank you for bringing this into my life. I mean, I, I mean, quite frankly, being from North America in the States, I had never heard of this guy. I mean, I'd like to think that if I would have learned about the star-nosed mole in high school biology or middle school mm-hmm. biology or something, that I would maybe be like this amazing professor that studies them because they're that right. cool. They're yeah. that unique. And they get they they reawaken my sense of science. And I know I probably bored a few people talking about my mechanoreceptors in the beginning of the podcast. No, 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 no. But no, no, no. I do that because... I wanted to learn, like, why is this organ so unique? Well, I was going to say, if you wanted to learn about Starnose Mole, you have to go to the electric, electric chemical, electrochemical society meetings. Yeah. Here. And, and I don't, I mean, I just, I'm not making fun of them. It's just that science. Oh my, talk about some of the smartest people on earth. Like, holy oh. smokes. Well, it's my, They're, my six year old's already asking me questions about like power and electricity and things like that. Yeah. And I just look at John and I'm kind of like, um, how about like you field this one? And then he's like, we'll <laughs> ask your grandpa. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. But yeah. yeah some, some really smart people study this stuff. But yeah. the, I mean, uh, they love these critters too. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, they're very universal. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, moles are, I mean, they're just, they're fascinating. And, you know, you look at their natural history. Now I will admit there isn't a ton out there on star-nosed mole evolution. But what we do know about moles is they're from the family Talpidae. Moles, shrews, and desmonds? Have you ever heard of desmonds? No. That's why we okay. do this they're, podcast. Yeah. I know. Me either. So they're... I mean, Chris, this is why I love the podcast. For this week, Wilson emailed me, Wilson Ma, thank you for messaging us on Facebook, giving us some suggestions. and But they mentioned in there a Dracula parrot. And truth be told, I had never heard of that. And I've been wanting to do a parrot. You know, I've been trying to push parrots for a while now. We'll we'll get there. Um, But I had never heard of a Dracula parrot. And I got on the Google and I'm like, okay, I think that might be the species we cover. So. Okay, cool. Cool. But anyways, yeah, there's a lot that, I mean, we know, we know some animal things, but there's so many out there. That's why this podcast is super fun. And so what was the last one you said? A, dr- a what? A, a Desmond. A Desmond. So they're from Eurasia. Yeah, they're like shrews okay. or moles. Okay, so they're all similar, but yeah, they're in Eurasia. I just thought it was interesting. Desmonds, okay. Yeah, new one. Now, moles are insectivores. Mm-hmm. So they're actually closely related to a different species than rodents. Did you have to guess our other insectivores? That we've covered? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Armadillos. Oh, we no. haven't covered armadillos yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> They're actually I'm more closely related. I know. We'll get there. It, more related to bats oh. than they are with rodents. I, Isn't that wow. crazy? Yeah. Well, I mean, that is crazy. I did not know that, Chris. I, like yeah. I said, I found the tidbit yeah. 
of how unrelated to mole rats they are. Right. Yeah. And then they're also not to be confused with golden moles that are found in Africa. And we're going to actually talk about them at the, towards the end of the podcast. Because okay. golden moles are more closely related to hyraxes and mm-hmm. aardvarks and tinrecs and even elephants as compared to normal moles. Well, okay. So you're getting a little ahead of me, okay. but that's fine. So true moles. Yeah, okay. okay the there it is. True moles. Mm-hmm. Live in Europe, Asia, and North America. Okay. Okay. Like you talked about, I'm going to talk about the golden mole here in a second. You're right. They, it's super they cute. Are, it is a cute. It one. is. It is. It is. I can't even tell if it has eyes. Like it's, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it does. So, it's just I, like I they're always closed. It's so happy when you pet it. I know. <laughs> I know. But convergent evolution, which we've talked about quite a bit, has mole-like species developing in Australia and Africa. Gotcha. So. They got things that are like moles or they call them moles, but they're not a quote unquote true mole. Okay. Yeah. The true moles is this family, Talpidae, and there's three subfamilies, 17 genera and 51 species. Wow. Okay. okay. Of true moles. Now they emerged about 40 million years ago in, in Eurasia. That's about where they came from. And the, Starnose mole is the only member of the genus Condylura, mm-hmm. and so their scientific name is Condylura cristata. Ooh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm moving on. That was good. Uh, so, <laughs> no need for retakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So, you know, one of the things that that reading on evolution about them is just how they evolved this subterranean life, and over these 40 million years, they've been able to get these physiological adaptions. The history of them, the phylogenetic tree, obviously, it's being debated. With genetics, there's more of a clearer picture coming. But what is clear is this star-nosed mole evolved a long time ago out from a lot of other moles. They don't have like a another species that's closely related to them. It's like really long. A few million years ago is when they came out with this crazy nose. Now, what we do know about the nose is what they think is an ancestor had strips of these Imer organs along the side of its face. Interesting. Then over time, they peeled forward to turn into this tentacle reaching out thing. So that's kind of the reason they think that. I love that tentacle reaching out thing. (laughs) Scientific. (laughs) uh, It's pretty scientific. I'm teasing with you. I like it though. Well, the reason they think this is because during during embryonic development, that's how it is, right? So it's along the face. Then as they grow in utero and become more of a fetus and grow, then the tentacles grow out. Gotcha. So there's, they, they say about 30 species of moles have Imer's organs on the tip of their snout. Gotcha. Okay. So it's about one to 2,000 mm-hmm. divided around the nostrils. So, and you're saying it's one to 2,000 per appendage. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So other moles have things like that. So that helps them dig and, and sense underground. Just not this crazy, what I call it, tentacle-like. Appendage thing. thing. Appendage. <laughs> so, so that's about it. Moles, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot. Someone's not doing enough natural history on moles that I, yeah, I could find. No, it's, I was similar with the, the courtship behavior. Uh, so, uh, spoiler alert, there's not much there. I envision, I envision them like in, intertwining their tentacle appendage-like things right. or something. I mean, they might, but nobody studied it, so we don't really no, seem to know no. too much. All right. So the largest mole ever, it, you know, Angie, when you type in mole, it like shows you human moles. It's so hard sure. to do I, I, Right. And with my little boys, it's so, I'm always explaining these things, these weird, uh, dualities in the human language mm-hmm. where there's this wood and that wood or this mole and that mole. So yeah, I like once again to all of our, uh, English as not your first language listeners. Thank you. For I know. I know. Here. So imagine when you type in largest mole ever. <laughs> when pictures come up, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. So after doing some digging, what I found. <laughs> Oh my, oh my gosh. See, these are, these are the little behind the scenes part that, uh, yeah, I, 
Well, I always feel to the F, especially with all my reproductive uh, searches that I do. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, mm-hmm. I'm glad that I'm not on my school's computer. Safe search. That's for sure. Safe I'm, search I'm on. My, on. I'm on my Safe computer. search on. Safe search on. A lot of years putting repro slides together and the things you have to type in there. Safe search on. Okay. So I didn't have, well, I do have safe search on, but largest mole ever. <laughs> so I did finally find one and it's the giant golden mole. Yes. So the one you just talked about. And again, it lives in South Africa, is endangered. Yes. Can get a length of 9.4 inches, 24 centimeters, weigh 20 ounces or 500 grams. Okay. So not huge. They're not this huge rodent no. looking thing, but they're pretty big for and moles. they're beautiful. The golden ones are beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're and really pretty. Again, we'll, we'll be highlighting some of the stuff, more stuff about them towards the end of the podcast as well. All right. Some fun factoids. You know, their lifespan, uh, two to four years. So, you know, it's a small mammal. Uh, that's probably average for a lot of small mammals. These front paws, I mean, they extensive tunnels. I read 100 feet long. Oh, yeah. So crazy, and these, crazy. And these claws, and these guys are little. I mean, the claws are impressive, but they're not huge uh, for compared to other animals. But they can tunnel through soil at a rate of eight feet per hour. I don't think I could shovel that. No. Nope. Especially if it was like wet soil, you know? Yeah. Eight feet in an hour? Yeah, that's a lot. I could move. I think, obviously, I could move that much snow, I think, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Snow easy. Snow easy. And maybe sand. I I don't know. Like dune sand. I don't know. I mean, the question is, I guess the question is, do I have a little payloader or a little bulldozer? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just me and my shovel. But yeah, it's, it's. It's intense. That's, I mean, for a little guy, that's a long ways in an hour. So we did talk about them swimming Mm -hmm. and they can dive for, or remain underwater for about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So why they do that uh, smelling thing. The one thing I found interesting is, you know, withstand water. They have this water resistant or not waterproof, water resistant. Repellent. Yeah. Repellent. So I went and found a study from MIT so here's another you know, shout out super, to MIT. Maybe they'll hire me someday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so John's a guest lecture there soon. Are you kidding me at MIT? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. And conservation. So something, something, awesome. something awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So what MIT has found because they develop materials. So this is a, a material or mechanical engineer, Alice, and she wrote that the geometric properties, so hair length, and hair spacing plays a role in the ability to be repellent, water repellent. So the denser, the more hairs there are, and the longer there are, the more water you you resist. Okay. Right? Makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So this dense fur, long fur, that's why they're able to withstand some water. Yeah. I saw a really cool video on YouTube of one uh, swimming under an ice like they think that it's like mm-hmm. a burrow mm-hmm. kind of went up butted up against a stream or near a stream and then it could like go under do its little thing and what i found extra fascinating about that is the star nose mole is different than a lot of its mole cousins in that it's active throughout the winter and so it can burrow mm-hmm. through snow and obviously swim in these frozen ponds where other Whereas other species of moles go into either moderate hibernation or kind of toper, basically reducing mm-hmm. their activity and their overall basal metabolic rate to conserve energy. This star nose mole with its tentacle-like appendage nose is just cruising, doing its thing. How cold it would be, the nose through snow. Oh, my gosh, those poor little guys. Yeah. Uh, well, that's uh, going to be a temperature receptor. And so who I, I don't know right. if they've looked into that, maybe – Right, right. Maybe they don't have them, as many or them. I don't know. Yeah. Well, speaking of winter, I did read their tails swell up with fat. I love about that. About four times. Yeah. I know. They have these fat tails. That That's their, their reserve. Yeah, that's my excuse. Going into the winter months. here the wintertime in Florida. I'm, it's my reserves. <laughs> <laughs> Your tail. <laughs> uh, imagine uh, my behind got four times bigger. Yeah. So here here's one thing I found interesting. I thought, okay, these things are underground, sometimes deep. How do they breathe? Like, how do they breathe and survive? You know, because... Well, we know with naked get... mole rats, they barely don't. <laughs> right. They don't. Those They're things... Not. Yeah, they are crazy physiology. 
Check out that so pot. Hey, what moles, pot is that? I mean, that's what. Like, uh, thirty six is what came to my I was mind. Forty five. Aha! Uh-huh, now it was close. Thirty two. Nice. That's why you <laughs> get paid close. the big bucks. Okay. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. So nothing. Yeah, you're right. The naked mole rats are like can can live in a hypoxic environment. So moles can survive. And they've measured oxygen levels in some of these burrows or these tunnels. Normal oxygen in the atmosphere is 21%. Mm-hmm. Carbon dioxide, less than 1%. In these tunnels, oxygen dropped 14.3%. Carbon dioxide as high as 5.5%. Yikes. Which I believe would kill us or knock us out. Like yeah. it's, it's, that's toxic levels. Mm-hmm. Well, moles, can rebreathe that air just fine. Get the oxygen they need. You want to guess why? I mean, we've done this with deep diving animals. Well, it, I, they physiology. probably have more blood, more hemoglobin, which basically can carry hemoglobin. Carry more. Yes. Carry more oxygen. And and it binds more CO two. Oh. So okay. it's not poisonous. Interesting. So it's, it, it does not. So their hemoglobin, you're right, is very, very specialized that it binds more CO2. So they can survive in these environments without it killing them. See? It's crazy. That's yeah. science. That's nuts. Ah, <laughs> I know. Science. I mean, now, just... here's another crazy, crazy fact about these guys that we didn't even mention in the beginning. These are the fastest eaters in the world. Yes. Any mammal. I was watching a plethora. <laughs> yes. Of star nose mole videos of them eating, and it is, it's it's fun to watch. It's uh, 120 milliseconds. Yeah, I can. 120 to ID and consume their food. I'm (laughs) almost that fast, but not quite. No, no, 120 milliseconds. You can't even see it. Oh, you haven't seen the round of bowl ice cream, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) I had one of these before we got on, but yes. Oh my god! No, definitely not that fast, but uh, that yeah. And that's the crazy thing about this star-nosed appendage is, of course, it acts mm-hmm. as like a mechanical sensor or tactile sensor, but then it also assists with them feeding. It helps. There's like those two, there's all the big bilateral ones that are mm-hmm. bigger and longer. And then there's like two or four of them that are like more towards its mouth that are like smaller to help jam that food <laughs> in the pie hole. <laughs> as Angie sticks her fingers in her mouth and it goes out. Because if look I like could figure out how to get more food in my mouth faster... <laughs> I would. Like, as much as I, I've tried everything, I've tried slowing down, I've tried chewing more, I've tried like breathing. I'm going to try some psychological tricks to like try, okay, you just had one bite. Do you feel full? Okay. Isn't it what you're supposed to do with your pets? You stick like objects in their food so it takes them longer. Yes, to I need that. I, <laughs> but Spenders, that's what I need. People. But what I want is I want some of these. We'll get you a Kong. We'll get a Kong. And you know, we'll stuff it with ice cream. That's and that's definitely. I, I need that, but I need I need to slow down. I need like a slow feeder, like yeah. we give our horses or something. Okay. But what I want right. is something to speed me up even more. Like I would love those little appendages on the side of my mouth to just jam oh more food in there. Those big earthworms, <laughs> bring it on. Oh God! So this is the brain in the star-nosed mole. It takes eight milliseconds if prey is edible or not, and that is the limit at the speed of neurons. Wow. So it's almost instantaneous. They're like, food, yep, oh, gone. Food, get gone. Nope, and not food. It actually not food, happens food. Food, like gone. way faster than you just saying all that, that. and doing all uh, that. No, 120 milliseconds. And they're eating earthworms, aquatic insects, snails, crayfish, small amphibians, fish. It, who knows? Like it's, we probably can't even see it without a speed camera. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, but like I said, these videos are fun. They slowed it down in some of them or. Yeah. And then just like oh, one of them, like it's pulling on this huge earthworm that's like longer, as long as it. And it just is like, ah. <laughs> it. Oh my gosh. These things are so insane. And then before we get into behavior, cause there's some cool stuff there. Uh, as far as predators, I mean, they, they are prey to like red tail hawks, owls, like the great horned owl, uh, domestic cats, you know, feral cats, fox, uh, large fish. And streams and skunks like to eat them too. So, so they are, but they're carnivores. I mean, they're, they're carnivores being carnivored upon, I guess. Sure. Yeah. They have with some animals. They're in the middle there of the food chain. So they have a very important role. That's for sure. Now going into behavior, we've talked about the, how fast 
you versus star nose moles can stuff food. Mm-hmm. They beat us hands down. Absolutely. Uh, you and I will, you and I will have an ice cream eating off <laughs> one day. They, we talked about their, their, what are their cool behaviors? I mean, these things are fascinating. Well, I, I think it's so easy to forget about how they live or where they live when things live underground. And what I find fascinating about moles in general is they have these tunnels underground, right? That's like where they live and where they hunt and they don't really have much eyes. They don't need to see because they're always underground for the most part, unless you're the uh, star nose mole and you go into the water sometimes and things like that. But these, they're not just like tunnels to nowhere. They're literally like highways underground. And most species of moles will actually dig special chambers in their tunnels that act as bedrooms or birthing areas. And they often will have kitchens. And so, and I remember the naked mole rats, which once again, that's you know, not right. directly related to uh, the star-nosed mole, but they had a bathroom chamber where they went to Right, the they did. So, latrine. Yeah, they had latrine. Yeah, so. and I think that it's just, there are uh, certain species of moles in their kitchen, if you will. <laughs> they have been recorded to have stored up to 470 worms. Wow. Wow. In their kitchen. <laughs> So, I mean, I think the thing oh, is, there's crazy, a yeah. lot that we don't know because they're hard to study. Uh, they're underground. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that, once again, the naked mole rat exhibits that have been in some of these accredited zoos are just fascinating to watch. And we are learning more about them. But the star-nosed mole is a different in that it doesn't de- dig as deep in the wintertime. Once again, as some of the other species, like the eastern mole will do, uh, I think that's just because they probably do better with winter or they, they've worked it out. Uh, and they are active both during the day and at night. They love to sleep. So they eat fast and love to sleep. Like I said, this is one of my new, one of my new <laughs> favorite species. spirit animal. Yeah. <laughs> this is my, a new spirit yeah, animal. Exactly, exactly. So unfortunately, not too much is known about their social life. Uh, mo- a lot of species of moles are more solitary, where when we covered, once again, not directly related, but when we covered the naked mole rat, they have a crazy social uh, right. hierarchical, just an amazing, like, you social, if you will, you social. Yeah, you uh, social. Yeah. Yep. style. And so it's just kind of a shame, I think, that uh, researchers just don't really know in the wild exactly what they do. And researchers do know that they, of course, come together uh, for the breeding season and that they're mm-hmm. possibly or most likely monogamous during the breeding season. And that, of course, they're communicating with one another during this time. And, but they don't really understand fully how they're communicating with each other. They assume that it's through chemical signals or pheromones. Um, and they don't really make any noises. So I can't play you any star nose uh, vocalizations. They don't make a lot of sound, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they do have large ear canals and they know that they can hear and they do have glands that can once again, probably produce some of uh, some pheromones, but mo- a lot of it's a mystery. And as far as binding each other and communicating, researchers don't know a ton. Uh, they do make, they don't make much noise. To begin with, they, the little young ones might make more of a little high-pitched noise, and adults sometimes can make a little bit of a wheezing sound, and they know they can hear one another because they have pretty well-developed ear canals, and they know that they're probably, they have scent glands, so they're probably communicating to each other through pheromones, um, but yeah, overall, there's just not a, t- there's another secret there, Chris, that probably has been yet to be discovered. Oh, there's, yeah. we're going to send this society of chemical, electrochemical, yeah, <laughs> out there to study these things. Yeah, seriously. Uh, That's just, yeah, the thing is, yeah. I was reading somewhere, but, um, it's been demonstrated, uh, and I don't know which, I don't know which research lab this came out of. I can't remember, but they, that, uh, they do hunt this aquatic prey that we talked about, like mm-hmm. snails and mm-hmm. things, um, crustaceans and things. When they were in a lab, they were actually drawn to batteries 
placed underwater. And so, so yeah, electrochemical. Mm-hmm, they think that there's some kind of electrical chemical because they can't see them, right? They can't, you know. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. So in in the dirt when they're feeding for earthworms and things, they can like feel them, right? That's where the the, the tentacles mm-hmm. become like their eyes, and they can they can tactile feel them. But underwater, how do they sense them? And things move fast underwater typically. So are they? And they they don't dive for a long time, as you mentioned. They can only right, thirty right, seconds. Right, 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 right. So they think there's probably some kind of electrical chemical thing going on there, and they don't. And, and the platypus right now is the only one of the only other species that's known to potentially right. possess this. Uh, this electro water sensing ability. I mean, no sharks can do. Sure, it. Yes, sharks sure. Can do fish, it. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fish can do Correct. it, right? But Correct. the mammals, mammals do is nuts, right? right? So like, the society needs to get an electrochemical society. Needs to I know. That. <laughs> these, are the, these are some of the smartest people on earth. They got to figure it out. Please I mean, if they don't figure it out. Why you're studying them? Can you please tell me some of their courtship behaviors because I couldn't find anything about it. <laughs> Uh, I want to go to that meeting so bad. Now. But no, in general, like I said, they're typically monogamous for one breeding season and they'll usually pair up in like the fall and remain together through the mating season in March and April. When a female is pregnant, her gestation is only about 45 days and she'll produce a litter. They can have on average five, but up to seven little, little nuggets of love. And these little darling neonates or baby star moles are born hairless and they're teeny tiny, like uh, 50 millimeters and or one and a half grams. So itsy bitsy. Their eyes and ears are closed and the, and the tentacles of the star nose are kind of folded back on itself. So um, like you said, they're not too active in the beginning, but they become the star. The star wakes up and starts doing stuff um, after about two weeks of age and they're independent around 30 days. But now Chris, I did several deep dives this week because the star nose mold is just <laughs> incredible. I knew you would. I knew and you I think would. I was I looking up courtship behavior or other things mm. and there wasn't much. And so I just changed my search criteria, just like moles in general. And like you, I was getting like human moles. I'm like, oh, that's not what <laughs> Hairy yeah, moles. Yeah. Uh, oh, but no. somehow one of those deep dives on good old Google Scholar. I found the factoid that I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast about the similarity, what, I, I, what the star nose moles, the, the star nose moles, yeah. moles in general, more or less, have in common with ringtail lemurs, uh, which was one of my buddy Megan's, her favorite. So hi, Megan, if you're listening, uh, one of her favorite species. And then, um, is it the hyena, which is your favorite? Is it more of a matriarch? I mean, are they, they, they more, are they, the females bigger? I, I, I can't. It's a ringtail lemur is throwing me for a loop. Okay, so like, you're I know close with bigger. The females are bigger. No, not that part. Are they? They're reproductive they're organs. The reproductive reproductive organs. organs. Okay. I didn't know ringtail lemurs. Like, I didn't wow. either. I think. Okay. Yeah. That's. Okay. Uh, so it looks like a, a male organ. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So. I didn't think that in lemurs. That's the one that threw mm-hmm. me. Okay. Yeah, I know. Uh, and the other cool fact I found out is that um, females have what they call the testosterone or the androgens are coming from ovotestes. And that was my first kind of time learning about this terminology. But it's basically, it's an ovary that also has testes tissue in it or around it. And that's wow. what... In the mole? Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's called an ovotestes. You can Google it later tonight oh, okay. on your safe engine search. Um Yes. But really, really cool. And that's, <laughs> you know, once again, that's uh, a very unique adaptation. Researchers pro- don't, I mean, in hyenas, we really don't know why. Hyenas is probably more social mm-hmm. related, right? I think that episode, we kind of dorked out about what might be going on from an evolutionary standpoint with uh, female hyenas. Ringtail lemurs, we've covered red rough lemurs. We did not um, talk about that, we but it might only be, it might only be ringtails. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, there's still a lot of mysteries. I just love that. When scientists put their mind to, and they, you know, they, they, we like to make sure things are right and technologies change. And, and when you actually have the, the ability to really explore something and learn more about basic biology, it's really, really important. Least concern with the star nose mole. It's, it, it, the, the numbers, I mean, they don't have hard numbers on them, but the density is okay. They're fairly rare, like human conflicts with them, but, but they are 
being exploited like certain areas where human development. So they are cutting into their habitat, but overall they're doing okay. The problem is like Andy said, a lot of these moles, some of these moles are, are endangered or critically endangered because people find them as a nuisance sure. and a pest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, dealing with moles. So my conservation tip of the week before we jump into, I'm assuming it's going to be this chemical organization no. or society. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, you know, dealing with moles in your yard. Okay. Conservation tip of the week. What I would say is enjoy them. But if you do have a, a garden that you're trying to protect or your lawn, you know, here's some signs to see if you have moles. So if, you, if you're curious, if you have moles, just look. Because I, I remember living in South Carolina and Florida. I believe we had moles is you look for mounds of dirt that are symmetrical and round. Okay, so so that could be sign. The dirt will appear fluffed. Clods are present. They Their tunnels or their mounds are formed along edges of like our walkways and stuff. Uh, the mole hills can be more than a foot in diameter. And, and most damage is in like where it's cold, cooler, shady, you know, where there's more grubs and earthworms. That's where they want to dig and find it. So the first thing is, you know, if that's just you want to know if you have moles Raise in your yard. Raised bed gardens. Right, right. There are ways to, you can kind of prevent damage. Killing them is not recommended. It just isn't, you know, they're part of the environment. They are beneficial to your gardens. They're beneficial to the environment. Do not kill them. Ways to drive them away, I guess, if you want. There's some things you can plant. Marigolds and daffodils. They hate them. Interesting. <laughs> they are or alliums uh, type of plant. They don't like it. It drives them kind of away, encourages them to move on and deters them. They li- they dislike it that much. Like and it's just, they who just doesn't do not like daffodil, it. Right? I know. I know I do. And <laughs> you can dry out your yard just a little bit, not enough to kill the plants, but make it so it's not so moist. Good luck with that in Florida. So there are, <laughs> I know, I know that can happen in your neck of the woods. Uh, there are some sprays out there that deter wildlife. I mean, you can try it. I don't know. Spraying chemicals is something I'm always adverse to. There are things like vibrating stakes. There you go. That are probably scare them know, away. That mm-hmm. Solar powered that are like sonic little sounds. There's mixed reviews on them. Some people say they work great. Others are like, eh. So I guess it depends on how much you put in the ground. It might just enjoy them. They're unique. They're part of the landscape. You know, they're, they're incredible creatures and, you know, I used to love seeing them in my yard. Oh yeah. You know, the mounds and stuff. And so, you know, just enjoy them. They're, they're wonderful. All right. So it's not the electrochemical society we're supporting. <laughs> well, I think today. we Who did. We supporting? gave them a lot of free, uh, uh people are going to be Googling I, them later tonight and be like, when, it, when I know. is the next meeting 2020? Where can I go? Oh, I know. I know. I love them. love them. Uh, yeah. well, I couldn't really find a specific star nose mole or just in general oh, a mole society. I do, for all of our Canadian listeners out there, kudos to you guys, as always. Uh, the Townsend mole is considered least concerned by IUCN, but Canada is like, uh-uh. And they consider it an endangered species and do a lot mm-hmm. to protect it there. So kudos to Canada. You guys are awesome. But as far as my organizations this week, I'm actually going to focus on the golden mole, which we talked about earlier in the podcast, mm-hmm. not directly related to the star nose mole, yeah, but still, but yeah. still they're, convergent they're evolution. Cool. They're beautiful. And there's uh, several different species endemic to sub-Saharan Africa. I think there's about 21 and they're just having a real rough time there. There's uh, several that are near threatened, vulnerable, several that are endangered. There's critically endangered, the day Winton's golden mole, and so, my first shadow, the first organization I want to highlight is the Edge of Existence. Oh yeah, we've talked about them before. Uh, they're a really new group. They're associated with the Zoological Society of London. I need to get um, I need to get one of their specialists on to do an interview because what the Edge focuses on is global conservation of threatened or endangered species that are really unique in their evolutionary or phylogenetic history. So they're on the edge of these branches of the phylogenetic trees. And so it's like if we lose them, we're losing this whole 
genre or family yeah. or clad. So they have a, uh, one of the species they highlight is the Gunning's golden mole, which is currently considered endangered by the IUCN. So they spend a lot of time highlighting this this species and are doing things to help support these critters that are on the edge of existence. And so you, Chris will put their uh, homepage up on our show notes, but you can mm-hmm. follow them on Facebook and other social media sites, but they're edgeofexistence.org. And they have just, if you want to talk about like cool, unique species, check their webpage out. And they actually were having a call for uh, graduate students. So if you're in the market for that, maybe check out their mm-hmm. website for uh, different research projects that they're looking for uh, students for, because that would be super cool. And I know uh, you're based in London, but you probably get to do a lot of travel. So thank you to the Edge for all the work you do. And then secondly, just a real quick shout out to um, my dear friends, Dr. Barney Long and uh, Dr. Robin Moore from Global Wildlife Conservation, and they can be found at www.globalwildlife.org. They're running some amazing campaigns for koalas and other wildlife that have been impacted by the Australian bushfires. So definitely check them out on social media. Uh, They give you highlights on what they're doing and who they're partnering with uh, as far as trying to get some relief and aid down there. But the reason I mentioned uh, mentioned them is that is that they have a campaign to help the critically endangered D. Winton's golden mole. Okay, D. Winton's golden mole. It was last seen in Africa in 1936. Oh, wow. So it's considered critically endangered. Uh, researchers in ICN think that there are still some out there. Um, and, but the global wildlife conservation is trying to make a push to to look for them and help them out if they can find some. So definitely love that group. Oh my gosh, I've got to get uh, Dr. Moore back on here real soon. They're obviously conservation heroes. That's why I love to highlight them on this podcast. But our listeners are also our conservation heroes too. Yes. By following Chris's handy dandy conservation tips of the week, by sharing our podcast, by mm-hmm. loving all creatures, big and small, including the star nose mole by watching enough videos of it like myself where you fall in love with it and definitely check out uh miss mallory's interview if you will not be yes this thursday she is a fantastic we talk about some crawly stuff the giant leech you don't want to miss and you know amazing moly week with moles just fun species to talk about fun species to learn about and we'll be back next week with something just as cool yes thank you everyone Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.